The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be talking about the post-depression sequester blues, including the fiscal hawks that have no problems with quantitative easing the Fed has been using to help out the biggest banks, but then want to use screw the rest of us with austerity. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start with our regular contributor, the blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, Heather. So, um, we'll start with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, while the new stadium hasn't been even built yet, uh, the roof seems like it's collapsing in the process, uh, only figuratively this time, and, and in regards to how the new building will be financed. Uh, as we talked about last week, the e-poll tabs are falling short of the projected income needed to fund the stadium project. Now, this week, in the state is now planning to spend money on uh, encouraging residents to gamble more in bars. What is going on in Minnesota? I mean, you know, they came up with this financing plan that involved um, more gambling, and it turned out people didn't want to gamble more, at least not more in the form that they were giving them, at least not enough to pay for a stadium. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is the problem with any kind of uh, uh, any kind of thing that raises tax revenues by taxing the, you know, something that's sort of considered a negative. Um, is that then the state ha- it has to end up being in the business of encouraging people to, to do that, that negative thing, in order to raise money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so now they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just advertise more to get people to gamble, or maybe we'll have a new lottery, or maybe we'll um, introduce racinos, you know, the gambling, you know, teams at racetracks, um, or something. But we've got to get people to gamble more, because that's the only way we're going to make enough money for the stadium, which is just... Terrible, terrible public policy. Um, you know, and you know, it's the same sort of argument you could have against against sin taxes, right? You know, yeah. If you're going to tax alcohol and cigarettes, um, just like gambling, it winds up hitting people who are sort of, you know, at the uh, lower end of the economic spectrum and probably, you know, have the most addictive behavior and are are at least able to resist paying these taxes. And then, of course, the other thing is you have you you are in the business then of encouraging people to do all these things. Yeah. Because, you know, otherwise you don't get the money. So, you know, the alternative to all this is, I guess, to tax somebody else other than raising gambling revenues. But obviously that somebody else is going to resist whoever it is, um, and certainly if it's the Vikings. So I think they're trying anything they can to pretend, okay, this is just a tweak to the old plan. You know, instead of this kind of gambling money, it'll be that kind of gambling money. Um, but I think there's still a pretty good chance that the whole thing could fall apart. And at that point, the question is, do they still sell the bonds this summer and start construction on the stadium and say, okay, we'll figure out how to pay for it later, um, like so many other cities have done? Or do they sort of call a halt to everything and say, let's go back to the drawing board, which would be um, not entirely unprecedented, but pretty close to it at this point. Yeah, just a side note, uh, any, I'm expecting to read next week on your blog about a well-connected PR firm that get, picks up the contract to encourage people to spend more money gambling. Um, is, is there some someone in particular you're thinking of, or are you just saying that that's the next logical step? That's the next logical step. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, that's the problem is that you're throwing good money after bad at this point, you know, um, and I don't think that... You know, even if they do encourage people to gamble more um, on the particular things that they're hoping to raise money with, whether it's pull taps or bingo or whatever, um, in the long run, you're probably just going to be, um, you know, 
getting money to spend money, to gamble money one way or instead of another. I mean, it's not a bottomless pool of gambling spending in Minnesota. Eventually, people are going to run out of money to buy, you know, to gamble with. Yeah. Um, so as we were talking about the state of Minnesota, is it, you know, I'm guessing the state of Minnesota is on, on the hook for any shortfall in revenue. Uh, how likely is that proposed bill delaying the, the Viking Stadium bond sale, which is scheduled for August, until more money is found? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're clearly going to propose it. I think they've got a uh, uh, one Democrat and one Republican, one in the Senate and one in the House. Um, but, uh, I, you know, whether it'll actually pass, I haven't seen any reports on how much support it has in the legislature. And to be honest with you, how much support it has now, it almost doesn't matter. It's how much support it's going to have, you know, come July or August. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, if they are able to cobble together something else and that they can pretend is actually going to bring in money, then maybe they'll just sort of say, ah, you know, whatever, let's let it ride. <laughs> um, no pun intended. Um, and, but if not, you know, I mean, it's conceivable, you know, that, that the legislature could go. I mean, the, the Minnesota legislature has, has some track record of not being completely brainless when it comes to looking at Stadium subsidies with a cold eye. So, um, you know, it's certainly possible that they could say, okay, we're not going to sell the bonds just yet. And I think it's what they should do. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's certainly the state has every right um, to say, oh, gee, we don't actually have the money. Um, let's, uh, let's hold off on this until we figure it out. Um, you know, all too often states don't do that. Um, but, you know, now is the time that you have the leverage, right? You know, once you start to sell the bonds and start building the thing, it's too late to go back and say, oh, whoops, can we do this over again? Yeah. Um, as you were saying, you just see how it plays out with the new gambling idea of racinos, which is an awesome word. Uh, when does the tribal gaming casino sue because of the additional gaming that's crowding them out from the current income that they're getting? Yeah, I'm not really sure how exactly this works. Apparently, there's some sort of state constitutional issues going on there. Um, it's not, it doesn't have to do with their contracts. Um, so I guess they have to wait until actually a Racino bill passes. And to date, no Racino bill ever has passed, I think because the legislature just figures the can of worms and a, you know, major, um, um, you know, lawsuit headache that they don't want to have to deal with down the road. So my guess is it probably won't happen this time either. But again, they're so desperate that who knows? It's like, you know, I mean... Electronic pull tabs were considered dead in the water for years until finally at the last second um, somebody said, oh, you know, let's just go with that pull tab thing. That sounds good. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, so it's possible that, that we could end up seeing Racino's. We could end up, you know, Racino bill passing. We could end up seeing uh, a lawsuit. I mean, I think anything is possible at this point. Did, did, um, I, I almost had all the cards are on the table, but I, I resisted. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like the the electronic eats pull tabs, those things are like little iPads. Has the revenue from the pull tabs even paid back the cost of rolling out the program? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how much they had, they've had to spend on on the, the equipment that uh, that runs this thing. I assume that eventually it'll pay off because you know hopefully you don't have to buy new iPads every time there's a new iPad that comes out <laughs> um, but um, you know the, either way it just seems like there's, you know the the revenues are way way below what was anticipated um, or I guess way way below what was hoped for I should say since I don't think anybody who you know seriously looked at these things thought that it was a, a realistic revenue projection 
Yeah. Um, we'll move on to the ongoing tug-of-war between Sacramento and Seattle over the fate of the Kings. As it turns out, all this drama might be over nothing. There's a Stanford economist, Roger Knoll, who says that losing a team in the fight uh, over the Kings would have grounds to sue the NBA. How likely do you think a suit would be brought by the city that ends up not having the team? And then who would have legal standing to bring such a suit? Um, that last one's a good question. Um, the, in terms of how likely it is, you know, there's, there's two trains of thought here. One is, two schools of thought. One is that you don't want to, you know, anger the sports league that you are trying to do your team <laughs> yes. by taking them to court. The other is that that's exactly what you want to do. Um, and if you look at what happened when uh, Tampa Bay got the raise, that was completely because the state of Florida, when the San Francisco Giants were blocked from moving to Tampa Bay in 92, I think it was, 93, yeah. um, the uh, state of Florida said, oh, you, you know, we're going to challenge your, uh, your antitrust exemption, and baseball immediately folded and said, okay, fine, we'll give you an expansion team. Will that keep you happy? <laughs> um, you know, Roger Knoll knows more about this than pretty much anyone. He just won an award for um, his, you know, work in antitrust law last year. Um, I believe he was um, the he was involved in one of the first cases around challenging the antitrust exemption um, when the pilots moved to Milwaukee, the Seattle pilots, in Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, I mean, I think it's been pretty likely all along now that you have two cities that are, you know, not slam dunk markets, but decent markets, and both of which have arena plans that look like they're doable. Um, I think it's been pretty likely for a while that both cities were going to end up with teams, you know, again, within the next five years. Um uh, but I think you know the the possibility of antitrust just sort of the sort of increases the odds of that. Um, I don't know if that means that this is all for nothing, um, but it it does seem a little bit overblown that you've got the two cities again fighting it out for the, for the Kings, who are no great prize at the moment. Yes, they <laughs> might be better off with an expansion team. Yeah, well, it seems like there's a lot of teams in the NBA that are just, that are just bad, and like, what would that do to the league to add twelve more? people on a roster? Um, you know, I don't know that it necessarily hurts that much if you think about it in terms of, you know, the bell curve of talent. Um, you know, the, the problem isn't that there aren't enough mediocre players to fill out NBA rosters. You know, you could easily find another couple of teams worth of guys who aren't quite in the league, and they wouldn't look much different from most of the guys in the NBA who are just barely in the league. 
you know, the problem is that there aren't that many really good players. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's not going to change one way or the other. So, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that you'll still have, you know, the Heat and the Knicks and a few other teams and then the mass of teams that aren't really going anywhere. And you'll add a couple more teams to that. But, I don't know, the NBA hasn't really seemed that concerned with, uh, with uh, you know, equity among, you know, competitive, competitiveness amongst all, all the teams in the league pretty much ever. Um, you know, they're happy to have like two or three teams going into the season to have a chance of winning the finals. So I, you know, uh, again, it might not be great for fans across the country if there's, you know, or fans of these new teams, but, uh, you know, that's not the NBA's problem. The NBA still knows people are still going to watch. So, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Miami, uh, Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross is showing signs of frustration with the polling numbers that aren't quite going his way over his ballot referendum to improve, um, fund improvements to his privately, uh, financed stadium. Last week, uh, Ross threatened that while he won't move the team personally, he'll sell it to someone who might, um, but the most interesting yeah. thing that happened was apparently Florida is looking into a state cap of $15 million a year in sports subsidies. Is that referendum as well? In the, is that one as well, or is that in the state legislature? That, no, that's state legislature, and I'm not sure it applies to the Dolphins money because I think it has to do with the sales tax um, rebates that, uh, that Florida gives out, and, and the Dolphins will get using hotel tax money. Um, it's it's so hard to keep track of all the different subsidies in Florida for stadiums. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was this so so yeah. Mike Florida, who does uh, who's an NFL writer, had this whole column saying just because Ross isn't isn't threatening to move the team doesn't mean that there isn't a threat to move the team. <laughs> um, and you know he's been kind of beating that drum for a while that the Dolphins could move if they don't get a stadium. I mean, it looks like it's pretty likely now that we're going to have a referendum. I mean, the Miami-Dade County mayor just agreed to uh, to support um, a deal that would be about 130 million dollars worth of uh, worth of subsidy from hotel taxes, um, and the state legislature still has to prove that. But mm, probably pretty likely it gets through um, before they have to have this vote on May 14th. The question is then. Is there enough time for the Dolphins to just ramp up a major stadium funding campaign in time to turn around these horrible poll numbers? Um, I, you know, it seems like after the whole Marlins fiasco, um, there just is not a stomach for that in Miami. But, uh, you know, again, we've seen poll numbers like these turn around pretty fast before. I mean, the Miami Heat, I think, had similar numbers with about six weeks to go when they were going into their arena vote, and they wound up winning it. So, uh, you know, there's a lot you can do with TV ad anyway. What was your money ratio to how much dollars spent to how many votes? I think 100 to 1. If, you, if you're under 100 to 1 in your spending um, as opposed to what the opponents spend, you usually lose your referendum. If it's over 100 to 1, you usually win your referendum. And it's been pretty consistent. Um, so uh, I don't know what the opposition is going to be like this time. There's still Norman Brayman, the old uh, uh, Philadelphia Eagles owner, who's down there and seems to always uh, spend some money on opposing whatever stadium arena deal is, is next in line. Um, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, I think I think I I would be surprised if they get it passed this year, but I wouldn't be shocked. And of course, if they don't get it passed this year, there's always next year. 
yeah, yeah. And so we'll leave off with the Cubs while Tim Ricketts lost his fight to get public subsidies for the upgrades to Wrigley. He wants to put up a huge scoreboard um, to screen off the rooftops in left field across the street from watching a game. Uh, since Wrigley Field is a historic place, uh, where is the pushback going to come from to stop him from putting up the, the, the atrocity? <laughs> Well, I mean, the first pushback is going to come from the rooftop owners, obviously. Yeah. And the local alderman um, is is very tight with them. He's a local business owner, um, and uh, and you know gets a lot of campaign money from them. So that's mostly been where most of the pushback has been. And I assume that what is going to happen is they'll probably push for a scoreboard that's sort of low and long, rather than you know tall and skinny, so that the rooftop owners uh, don't have to lose too much there. And the Cubs get money from the rooftop owners as well. I think they get 17% of their of their revenue. So, um, you know, the Cubs have some interest in maintaining those things, even if they also want to block their views a little bit because they, they want them to cut into their, their business. Um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, as someone who really doesn't care about the rooftop club owners but does care about the experience going to Wrigley Field whenever I get out of Chicago, um, I'm not all that thrilled about the possibility of a giant, scoreboard um if it winds up being you know the thing you usually get at baseball stadiums which is lots of uh, ads between innings and videos and things like that i mean the whole attraction of wrigley field um isn't just that it's historic it's that you know when you go there it feels more like going to a game 30 50 70 years ago um, where you aren't constantly assaulted by you know light and sound um Clearly, that isn't for everyone because lots of people enjoy the light and sound. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, you know, they do, you know. And you know, I have a ten-year-old, and he likes uh, looking up at the scoreboard and seeing the the quizzes and uh, weird, you know, uh, guess which under which hat the ball is hiding games and things like that. <laughs> um, and that's fine, but it's nice to have an option at least um, where you can go and and experience baseball where the only thing to do with the baseball game is, you know, watch the baseball game. Um, and clearly it's popular because Wrigley Field draws even when the Cubs are, are pretty terrible because it's such a great tourist attraction. So, uh, you know, there's probably a size of scoreboard that would, and a use of the scoreboard that would um, keep everyone happy. One of the Cubs pitchers actually said, you know, as long as they just use it for replays, that's okay by me. I just don't want it to be like, you know, something with like stupid stuff between innings. So I'm hopeful that maybe they've looked at what the Red Sox did with Fenway Park and, you know, are thinking, okay, we can do something. And with the Dodgers, they're doing with Dodger Stadium. And are thinking, you know, we could do something that's, uh, that's somewhat respectful of the tradition of the ballpark and, some, you know, that still enables us to earn some more ad revenues from, uh, from having a big scoreboard. Um, I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm my fingers are crossed. You know? Yeah. Well, one of the only venues in Southern California that doesn't have a scoreboard for replays is actually Irwindale Speedway, which is, um, I think, they're restarting this year. I enjoy not having a scoreboard because if you miss something, it makes you more attentive to what's happening on the field because if you miss something, there's a video replay to go back on it. A friend of mine was at a Yankee game a few years ago at the old stadium where there was a power failure and the power went out to the scoreboards and the PA system. And he said it was the most wonderful experience of his life because suddenly everybody in the stands was talking about who's up, you know, what's going on, you know, that guy, oh, number 20, oh, you know, it was suddenly everyone was keeping score, everyone was, you know, discussing the game. He said it was absolutely wonderful. I think every sports stadium should have one of those once a year. Pull the plug day <laughs> where you just have everything off and, you know, 
see what the experience is like. I mean, you know, what the heck? Do it on a Tuesday night when nobody else is going to be there and and, uh, and see it might work. That would be better than 70s night. Um, so anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Except as a throwback to 70s blackout. Yeah, and then what would Greg Brady do? I mean, he, he needs it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Neil DeMoss, he runs a blog site, fillthescheme.com. He wrote a book with the same title as well. I'll talk to you next week. Next week. Okay. okay. This is the Heather McCoy Show.